Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me once again to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and Proverbs in chapter number 25. The book of Proverbs and chapter number 25. The book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And it is there for us to be able to have practical help in our everyday lives. And the more that we spend time in Proverbs, the more time that you spend meditating on Proverbs, the more that you learn about Proverbs, the more practical, realistic, day-to-day help that you will have in your life. This one here is a key proverb because it discusses something that every single one of us deal with. If you wouldn't mind, notice inside of your own copy of the Word of God in the book of Proverbs chapter 25. The book of Proverbs chapter 25, and notice with me the last verse of this chapter, Proverbs 25, and notice with me in verse number 28. The book of Proverbs 25, and in verse 28, the Bible says this, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, notice what the Bible says. No rule over his own spirit. No rule over his own spirit. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, we're just asking that you would give us great wisdom and great discernment, that you would allow us to have practical help for our everyday lives. Thank you again for you being a help. Lord, get rid of the distractions, set things at ease, help people's minds and hearts be upon you. And we love you, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the ancient world, the walls that were were a vital part of any independent city. The walls would surround this city and it would give that city protection. That during those times of the ancient world, there were wild animals and without having walls, those wild animals could come into the camp and just take whatever they want. For example, even in today, Africa, lions are still a deadly creature. And if you have an encampment out and you don't have lookouts, you don't have guards, that lions can actually creep into the camp and they could actually take someone, pull them away and destroy it could be a bad thing. Beyond that, you've got other animals that could just waltz right in and they could do a lot of damage if you don't have any guards, walls, protection, barriers. In addition, you had in the ancient world, you had bandits. That if you don't have a watch over your camp, if you don't have some way to protect your camp, bandits can come in in the middle of the night and they could take, they could steal, they could kill, they could destroy, they could do a lot of damage. And in the ancient world, bandits were still a very big danger. 
In addition, you had armies. Back then, warfare was different, that you would have armies that would come and surround a city. And if you didn't have any walls, there was nothing keeping out the enemy. They were vulnerable to attack. And the enemy could come in and out however they saw fit. As we look at Proverbs chapter number 25 and verse 28, notice God places the importance and gives this illustration. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. A city without walls is a city that is vulnerable to attack. A city without walls is a city that is vulnerable to attack. Just like this physical illustration we could use from history, now going to the practical and dealing with our nature, he that hath no rule, this idea of rule is leadership or control. Someone who has no control over his own spirit is just like a city that is broken down and without walls. What does this mean? That means that if you have no rule, no control over your spirit, your passions or your emotions, you are vulnerable to attack. Now we know in the Christian realm, there are three major enemies. We have the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil. Those three enemies are constantly trying to attack a Christian. And a Christian that has no rule over his own spirit is vulnerable to attack from all three of them. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Remember the world is dealing with the idea of the world system, the world's philosophy. And the world's philosophy is always trying to conform a believer to believe and think and act just like the world does. And that if you don't have safeguards, you don't have walls and protection, that you left your own devices will start to behave, act, understand, empathize, and look like the world. A Christian who has no rule over their spirit spirit is vulnerable to satanic attack. Now, Satan wants to do everything he can to keep you from moving forward in your Christian life. And he will hold you at a standstill and keep you from advancing. You're too busy fighting off attacks rather than trying to move forward and take ground. Does that make sense? Do you know a Christian picks his battleground? A Christian picks where the battle's going to be. Sorry, you can't be without battles. The Christian life is all about building and battling. The privilege we have is we pick where the battleground is. And that if we are not advancing forward, that means the battleground is in our homes and in our lives. And that's where Satan's going to attack. And he's going to do everything he can to keep us in one place, defeated and destructed. But as much as we might look at the world and we may look at the, the satanic attacks, our number one enemy in this specific case is the flesh. That someone who has no rule, control, leadership, authority over his own spirit. This idea of the spirit here is the inner man. What makes you you? You are vulnerable to your flesh. The inside man to give attacks over and over. And there's nothing you can do about it. If you don't have safeguards, if you don't have walls, if you don't have any way to protect you. The person who does not have control will (laughs) allow 
his thoughts, his desires, his passions, his emotions, his inclinations, his resentments, all of those will be able to control that person at any given moment. You have people who said, well, I just can't help it. This is what I feel. That is someone who has no rule over their spirit. You have someone that says, I just can't help sinning. I just, just fall back into it. I just, I think about it and then all of a sudden I'm doing it. Is someone who has no rule over spirit. Someone who gives in to anger or bitterness has no rule over their spirit. Someone who allows their thoughts to wander wherever they want, even in dangerous places, is someone who has no rule over his spirit. And as we begin to discuss this and understand this, we understand this is something that is part of our everyday life. Many of us have our emotions overrule common sense and rational thinking. And our feelings overrule because we have no control over them and they make them vulnerable to attack. Let me give an example. I don't feel like going to church today. Well, our feelings can be very real. I don't feel like going. And because I don't feel like going, I can't overcome them because I have no guards, no barriers. So this feeling overcomes. Let's do another one. I just know that person hates me. I just know they hate me. What evidence do you have? I don't need evidence. I know they hate me. You have no rule over your spirit. And that no rule allows that flesh to control everything to attack. And next thing you know, you're making decisions and reactions based off of that feeling that's not even true, but it has no filter. It has no control, nothing. And it overrules everything. A person with self-control, and that's what this rule is talking about, having self-control, having this ability to control his thoughts, his passions, his emotions, his rationales. What happens is that he doesn't allow those feelings to rebel against good, rational, sound thinking. A person with self-control has rule over his own thoughts. A person with self-control has rule over his desires. Think about that. There are a lot of people who don't know how to control their desires. Well, I can't tell you how many men have come to me over the last 25 years. I can't help but to look at a woman and just look her over to see if she is compatible sexually. That's just how some men are programmed to. Do you know that you can learn to control that so that's not even a, a thing? But there are some people who have never been taught that that's their automatic thing, that they examine a lady and immediately trying to see if, sexu- if she's sexually compatible. There needs to be rule and filter so that doesn't go on. You say, well, I don't have a problem with that. Well, we have a lot of ladies in here about the emotions. The emotions running roughshaw. And no matter what, you have this feeling that you can't shake and it goes through you all day. I'm convinced this person hates me. I'm convinced this is true. And that feeling becomes such a reality in your life that everything builds around that. But did you know that you can have control over your emotions and your emotions when they're under rule obeys your commands? I can't help but to be scared. I was telling uh, the, um, the people in charge of the children's choir that one thing you could tell the kids is that nervousness is a choice. <gasps> yeah, absolutely. Nervousness is a choice. 
Did you know that? You can learn how to have control over nervousness. You can have control over fear. The Bible knows that we're fearful people. In the Bible, the word fear is the most common emotion used in the Bible. And yet we have 365 fear knots in the Bible. One for every day of the year. Why? Why would God tell you to fear not if you weren't able to control fear? This all deals with the idea of learning how to control, how to have rule, how to have authority over your own spirit. A person with self-control has rule over his inclinations, meaning that the desires that you have, the things that you tend towards. We know that left to his own devices, every child would pick ice cream over green beans, right? But do you know that you have to learn to control that and say, no, I have to eat this as well? And there are times that you have to say no to ice cream completely. I know children don't understand that. Us as adults understand there are times you say no to ice cream. Maybe because of the diabetes. (laughs) Or maybe it's just because of the weight gain. But there are times that you have to say no. And you have to have control. Do you know that there are some people that cannot say no to ice cream if it's placed in front of them? I mean, even if they were trying to say no, they would break out in sweats and they would grab something. And I just, I, <laughs> you know, and we're laughing because we all empathize with that. You go ahead and insert ice cream to whatever it is that you have a hard time with. And you said, if it's placed in front of me, I have no control over it. But the idea the Bible says is that we can learn to have control over our spirit. A person with self-control has control over their resentments. This is a big deal. There's a lot of people who resent a situation or a person. They have such a hatred and they find themselves, I can't help but to hate this person. It just, every time I see them, But do you know that you can learn to control even your resentments and your bitternesses? And it's keeping a good order. Most people in their thinking and their thought life do not have a disciplined thought life. What do I mean by this? It's just going every which way. You have a thought and then another thought. And the next thing you know, this thought here and this emotion happens and this goes over. And it's not placed into order. And you said, my mind is so chaotic and I have a hard time controlling my day and controlling my and getting things done because my mind is just, did you know that you can even learn to control the chaos of your own mind? Now, for people whose mind is so chaotic that it sounds foreign, what do you mean I can control my mind? You mean that there's a way to untangle? Yes, there is. And we want to be a help. By the way, this is all introduction. All of this is saying what we need. This is what it's like. But you can have it. And God tells us that we can have control over our own spirit. Every man is permitted in a large measure to be his own sovereign. What does that mean? It means you're in charge of what you own, of who you are. Nobody controls your thoughts. Nobody can invade your feelings, your ideas, your passions, your will is all your own. Nobody controls those. Your husband does not 
control your thought life. No matter what uh, the government says, they don't control your feelings. Those are all yours to have. You may be placed in a situation that you don't want to be in, but it doesn't dominate, have to dominate your thoughts. Your thoughts are your own. This is that freedom of will that God has given to us. And we can learn to give him the reign of our passions and restrain them on. To keep them in good order, just like our own cities. And if we don't respond, there's going to be riotous confusion. Let's just imagine that in your city. So imagine as we're pacing this, you have your own city. And you are in charge of your own city. But in your city, you don't have laws or policemen. What's going to happen to that city? Riots. Chaos, confusion. This is the illustration of your own life. In your own life, if you don't have control and order, chaos is going to rule. May we say, if you don't have law enforcement inside of your own city, your own thoughts will start misbehaving? Absolutely. Throwing riots, overthrowing cars, busting into Target and stealing all the electronics. (laughs) You'll find your mind going, why in the world did I do that? Well, you just got caught up. There was no rules. There was no things. Nobody in authority. No one was in charge. No checks and balances. And so you have a full-blown riot. And some of you say, you know what? That picture is exactly me. My thought life is a city burning under control. But you can learn how to control your own spirit. So there's no confusion. So things are put decently in order. And when the enemies attack, you're able to rebel those attacks. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, again, still in the introduction, but carrying the idea of how important this is and what does the Bible have to say concerning this. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, and notice with me in verse number 32. Proverbs 16 in verse number 32. It says in Proverbs 16, verse 32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Notice this. The Bible here is giving this, again, this illustration that someone who keeps his own city ordered and protected is better than a conqueror who comes and invades a city and takes it for themselves. Having your mind well ordered. And part of it is being able to slow to anger. How can you be slow to anger? Because you have control. There are some people that have no control over their anger. They are able to flip the pot very quickly. Flip a table very quickly. Come to a boil very quickly. And they said, I can't help myself. I'm tired of being angry, but I can't help myself. You can And there are practical helps in the Bible that we're going to give you of how you can order your thought life, how you could protect your own spirit, how you could put up safeguards. And if you employ them, you will find that the enemy cannot attack you or get victory when these things are functional. That's going to be the key. There are some times that people open up the doors of their city wide open and allow the things in. 
And that's a different thing. But we're talking about now how to put up those walls. If you don't mind, I'm going to give you a list of practical things you can do in order for you to get rule, administration, leadership over your own spirit, your own city. First of all, build walls by establishing daily disciplines. Build walls by establishing daily disciplines. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Build walls by establishing daily disciplines. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and notice with me, in verse number 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. Notice what the Bible says. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Uh, incorruptible. Now in the context here, it's talking about the Olympics. In Paul's day, the Olympic games were still a very big deal that the people would go and they would train very hard to win their games for their city, for their state, for their region. And so as they would go, if you can imagine a runner, most of us can understand the idea of a runner, that if I'm going to run a distance, in order for me to be the best runner I ought to be, well then there's going to be some disciplines. For example, I need a run. I can't expect to go win Olympic Games if I've been sitting on a couch for like five months straight and then get up and say, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to win. All right, let's go. Your body is not trained. It's not disciplined to be able to win the race. In addition, when you do that, you train hard. I remember, I know it doesn't look like it now, but I used to be a distance runner. And in doing a distance runner, I had to do things I did not like to do, like run bleachers. I did not like that, but it was something I did in order to be good at what I did. So running bleachers, you run up the bleachers, run down the bleachers, run up the bleachers, run down. And you know, we would start at one section and work our way down and run (laughs) going up, uh, doing that incline. That's painful. It's horrible. There were things that in order to be the distance runner I wanted to be, there were things I did to torture my body that I didn't like to do. For example, I used to carry 10-pound weights in either hand and then run with the 10-pound weights when I'm going. That wasn't fun at all. It was painful, miserable. But why did I do that? Because I wanted self-control. I wanted to put my body into subjection, into submission, so that way I could strive for the masteries, to be the best at what God had given me to do or what I had wanted to do at that time if you're talking about an Olympic person. Now, the people in the Olympics, they're running to win a temporary crown. In fact, in the first Olympics in those times in the ancient world, all they got was a laurel leaf. That's it. It wasn't even a medal. It was a laurel leaf. It was something that would fade away very quickly. But for us... This spiritual world, we've got something a lot better to run for. And that's for God's pleasure and the rewards that he will give us at the millennial kingdom. But there are things that if I'm going to run my race, let's say that I've got a big race tomorrow. 
And so in order to prepare for this big race tomorrow, I'm going to go have triple helpings of lasagna, and I'm going to get me a gallon of ice cream, and I'm going to sit and go to town. Is that how we train for a race? Not at all. Those things are going to weight me down. Those things are going to keep me from doing my best. And so is there anything sinful about lasagna? Absolutely not. Is there anything sinful about ice cream? Well, no. <clears throat> However, I choose not to do things that are not sinful. I put control over my life in order for me to have the best life possible. You said, okay, preacher, what does this have to do? Well, just like running a race, you set up habits and disciplines in order for me to strive for the masteries. In the Christian life, there are disciplines that you have to have if you're going to be able to rule over your own spirit. For example, the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself, without a doubt. If you are not reading the Bible, you have no control over your spirit. Nuh-uh, yaha. You have no, because you can't do it by yourself. You have to have God's word working in your life on a daily basis. And whenever you are not in your Bible, you become vulnerable to attack. Remember, we're talking now about building the walls, not even repelling attack. We have to build the walls so we can repel an attack. And you must have the daily discipline of reading the Bible. You have to have the daily discipline of praying, getting in the habit of talking to God and depending upon him. All of these habits act as protective barriers to help govern one spirit. The idea of reading. Now this is outside of the Bible, but getting in the habit of reading good biographies, good literature, putting good things in your mind. You say, why is that important? Because if you don't, you're going to watch Netflix and put bad things in your mind. You're going to allow the world access to you. You have to put disciplines. You have to be able to read good things to control your thought life even during the day. These are daily disciplines. Even other such thing as, I know, forgive me, I'm speaking to a Baptist crowd. Exercise. Physical exercise helps discipline your mind because it disciplines you physically. You now put in your subjection. I once heard of a great story of a, of a naval admiral who was speaking at a graduation ceremony at Annapolis. And he said, if you want to be successful in your life, there's something you need to do every day. Make your bed. Yep. If you want to be successful in life, make your bed every day. What it does is it sets up a discipline inside of your life. You have to have these daily disciplines. Both physical and spiritual help discipline your life. It needs to be a part of it. And by the way, adding more things as you grow in the Lord and grow as a person helps you to be more successful. There should be certain things that you do every day as a discipline. Make your bed read your Bible, pray, exercise. These things all build up barriers to help protect you. Let's just do basic things. I suffer through back pain and physical things. I need to try to exercise every day and I'm now working on something to help me with that. Why? Because when my physical body goes down, then goes the, my spiritual 
All of us understand that, that if you're hurting physically and you don't have the disciplines, the other things kind of just crash. Do you know how easy it is for me not to read my Bible when I'm hurting? It's very easy. And because my physical health is not disciplined up, then my other parts of myself become vulnerable to attack. And once you start eroding some of the walls, the rest of the walls are easy to conquer over. And now I'm vulnerable to attack. Most of us understand this because when we're hurting, we're a lot more irritable. It is easy to get us to have less patience. Why? Because these things, walls have started to be deteriorated. We have to work on things that would build self-discipline. Now, this isn't repelling the invaders. This is building up the walls so we could be better protected. Daily disciplines. What's another thing that we can do in order for us to be able to have rule, to have leadership, administration over our own spirits? A second thing, put up safeguards to alert you when your spirit is rebelling. Put up safeguards to alert you when your spirit is rebelling. This is going to be very key because a lot of time we don't recognize it until it's too late. Some people don't realize how mad they are until they're kicking the cat. You should probably understand how mad you are before that happens. You need to have safeguards that are there to help let you know when you're starting to rebel. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, notice with me in verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word keep right there is the same word as to guard, to protect. The same thing that we're talking about these walls. That we need to keep to protect our heart with all diligence. That means that we need to be on a lookout. We need to be scouting for it. We're searching for the enemies. Not waiting for the enemies to come over and go, oh, the enemies are here. We need to find them before they approach, before they hit there. The idea of guarding. With this, we employ mechanisms and mental safeguards that signal us when our passions or our emotions are on the brink of rebellion. Awareness is going to be key in maintaining control. You don't want to wrestle control when the people are inside of the capital ready to overthrow it. You want to have control exercise before they even get close. There are things that you need to do. Maybe have an accountability system. When I start getting aggravated, have someone that loves me to say, you know what? You're starting to get more aggravated. You're starting to get a little bit angry. You're starting <laughs> and have someone that we are willing to listen to to tell us this. Safeguards. To be able to catch when we can tell that our emotions are starting to rise up. Sometimes we need to pray that, Lord, give me awareness. Let me see these things beforehand. But whatever safeguards you put, you need to have them to recognize before your flesh gets too much control. So imagine a scenario. Let's just say that I'm having a day where my flesh is starting to boil over. 
I need to recognize that earlier rather than when it's full blown in control because I won't be able to face it when it is strong. I need to be able to face it when it's a small little thing. I need to recognize it so that way I could overwhelm it and take care of it while it's still small. Whatever you need to do to put those safeguards, to know when you, those feelings start going, oh, I could tell that I'm starting to get angry. What do I need to do before I get full blown? Oh, I could tell I'm starting to get anxious. What do I need to do before I get full blown anxious? Oh, I'm starting to get worried. I'm starting to get fearful. What do I need to do before that happens? Oh, I could tell that I'm getting aggravated. What do I need to do before? You start setting safeguards and be aware, praying for wisdom and discernment to catch those things. Safeguards can include introspective practices like journaling, keeping a journal, just so that way you could tell what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What is going on today? You said, I wasn't expecting that. Practical. Having the idea of what type of thing where you could check on yourself. Regular self-assessment, meaning that you have periods where you could stop and think, okay, how am I doing today? I know I've only been in, at, at work for an hour. How am I doing? Do I feel like shooting up the place or do I, can I survive? You know, being able to check yourself, little self-assessment type things. Maybe just seeking accountability through trusted relationships, as I said before. Hey, you know what? I can tell right now you're starting to get aggravated. Thank you for letting me know that. Let me go see what if I could do something about it now. But you need to be able to have safeguards to be able to catch those things before they get out of control, before they get out of your control. Let's do another type thing. Have you ever been angry and wanted to be angry? Or been upset and you wanted to be upset. And you know that you, don't, you shouldn't be upset. And you know that you could easily take care of it. But you don't want to. Uh, now I'm a sinner like you. I've been through those. Well if we were able to take care of it before it got to that place. It'd be easier to handle. Because now that I'm upset I want to be upset. And I'm going to stay upset. You know we got those things. <laughs> if you could... Um, uh, forgive a personal illustration, I personally don't suffer through a lot of depression. Uh, that's just not how I'm wired. In fact, I'm annoyingly happy, but it happens every now and again. And so the other day I was depressed for a full 15 minutes the other day. I failed at something physically I couldn't do, I couldn't get my back to work. I was supposed to do some exercises and it was a basic stupid exercise that everyone could do and I tried to do it and it failed horribly. And so now I'm stupid back, stupid whatever else and gotten a depression type thing. Well, I recognized it and immediately went to three of the people that I trust, called them, texted them, hey, are you available to talk? Hey, just letting you know that I was just having a rough time um, and just catching it early so that way I could go back to annoyingly happy. I mean, to be able to self-assess, to be able to see where you're at and take care of it before it overwhelms you and you stay there. Does that make sense? Now, again, I'm not bragging. I'm trying to say one of the things I caught it early did what I was supposed to in my support systems and got it taken care of. Hopefully you have someone like that. You should all have someone that you call and say, I don't want advice. I don't want help. I just need a rant. Okay, cool. And you could spill your gut, say you hate someone, whatever, and they're going to smile and nod at you. 
and just allow you to talk it out and allow you to reset. Sometimes that's all you need, especially if you catch it early. But if you don't have those outlets, it's just going to build up and build up and build up until they're too big for you to handle. So put up safeguards to alert you for when your spirit is rebelling. What's another practical help that we can have? Here's another one. Go quickly to prayer to die to self. Go quickly to prayer so you may die to self. Turn, if you don't mind, to the New Testament book of Philippians. The New Testament book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 4. The New Testament book of Philippians in chapter number 4. Go quickly to God. Go quickly to prayer. That way you could die to self. Knowing that I can't fight against my flesh. I need reinforcements. God's bigger than my flesh. God help me. Now again, this works especially when you catch it early. Because if you catch it too late, you're in the flesh and you want to stay in the flesh. Right? Have you ever been in the flesh and you want to stay in the flesh? And, and you don't want to go talk to God. There's something about not being right with God that makes you not want to pray. If you ever get to the place where you don't want to talk to God, it's probably because it's already too late. And guess what you need to do? You need to pray more. <laughs> you need to go to prayer. Turn with me, if you don't mind, Philippians chapter 4. And notice with me verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That word careful carries the idea of being worried or anxious. Here's a command, by the way. Be careful for nothing. The Bible actually says that you are to have control of your spirit, even with the idea of that you are not to be worried. If you are to be worried, you are to take care of that. If you're to be anxious, you're to take care of that. If you're to be fearful, you are to take care of that. You are to have rule over your spirit. You do have a choice in this. But only if these things are in place. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're to go to prayer quickly and surrender ourselves to God. Prayer here serves as a powerful tool in surrendering our personal desires and aligning ourselves with God's will for our lives. Notice it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication, notice this, with thanksgiving. You say, well, how's my prayer supposed to look? You pray until you can be thankful about what you are worried about. Until you get to the place where you're thankful, you're not prayed enough. Pray more. So let's say that... I said earlier, nervousness is a choice. I said that to my kids today and they voted against I don't think that's true. And I explained it. They go, okay. Now we understand there's a natural nervousness before public speaking, right? That's why most of you are not up here. But 
you don't have to let it be an overwhelming fear. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about is an overwhelming fear. I can't speak in a foreign, I'm going to freeze, I'm going to die. I just can't do it. Well, that's a crippling fear. Now it's got to the place where it's not healthy, it's not natural, it's not good. Nervousness is a choice. Well, what do I do about it? Well, one thing is go to God in prayer. If you ask God to help you, do you think he would? Do you think if God, if you prayed for strength, that he'd give you strength? Do you think that if you prayed that he would give you the ability, would he give you the ability? If he, if you prayed that God would allow you to do well and that you need his help, that he would help you? Would he pray that uh, the people don't beat you up and put you in the back of the car, drive you out to the back of the desert if you don't do well? Do you think that he could protect you from that? You know, people start getting nervous and they start freaking out. What are the people going to think? What are they going to say? Well, pray until you're thankful. What am I thankful for? Thankful for the opportunity to speak, to sing, to whatever else. Pray until you get to the place where you could be thankful for the situation that you have. I've got to go talk to the boss and now I'm so worried and so whatever else. Pray until you're thankful enough. Thank you for this job. Thank you that I have this opportunity. Thank you that I can trust you in this that I'm not strong enough to do myself. You pray until you're thankful. Sometimes when people come and they're, they're, they've got their minds geared up and they can't go up there, one of the questions I'll ask is, can you be thankful? Is there anything you'd be thankful for? Don't raise your hands, but some of you might remember. Are you thankful? What can you be thankful about? That's a normal thing. Pray to God until you can be thankful. There's something about when we're in the flesh, we're not thankful about anything. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my bad attitude that I don't have to put up. Okay, well, we probably need to reset this. Let's pray until we're thankful. And it's amazing when we go to God and we surrender our hearts that God gives us a peace. And you say, well, listen, is this biblical? Well, wonderful thing is that we have Psalms. Remember Psalms, a lot of them are prayers that are being spoken by whoever's speaking. And some of the Psalms start off with like, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, did God forsake them? But did they feel like they were forsaken? And what happens is they pray to God. And at the end of the Psalm, they're like, God, you're so great. You're so wonderful. I'm so thankful for who you are. What happened? Prayer. You go to God and pray until you are thankful. You don't believe me? Go read Psalms and go read a bunch of them and you'll find this out. That a lot of the Psalms start off like, God, what's going on? And at the end, God, you're so great. Thank you for this opportunity. Read them for yourself. This is a normal response that you go and talk to God and you go to God in prayer and pray. Don't just say, God, just help me and then leave it there. The idea of prayer is that you're praying until you are surrendered, until you are submitted, until you recognize God's goodness and you get out of that prayer thankful with a peace of God and under control. Prove it and see if it doesn't work. This is the biblical pattern. Go to God and pray and pray until you are surrendered, submitted, thankful, and at peace. Now, I will give you a heads up. When our flesh is too big, we don't want to do this. 
when our flesh is too big, we don't want to be surrendered. It's in full rebellion mode. And we're going to have a very difficult time to pray. You say, what do I do when I don't want to pray? Call someone who can help you and let them pray with you until you can pray. Find something practical. Again, having a great support system is something the key to help you be successful. Notice in all of these, none of these are you are expected to do all by yourself. And you can't do it all by yourself. There is no such thing as a super Christian, not even Paul the Apostle. If you go back in his life and ministry, you'll see that even he used people to encourage him in his times. There's no such thing as a super Christian. All of us need help. All of us get to the place where our flesh and passions get too big. This is why we have a church family and a support system of people that we can go to to help us in our times of need. What's another practical thing that we can do in our lives in order to have rule over our spirit control? Here's another one. Quote scripture to settle the spirit. Quote scripture to settle the spirit. Turn with me to a very famous verse, a verse that most of you have memorized. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and notice with me in verse number 11. Psalm 119 and verse 11. It says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The idea is is that God has given his word to help calm down our hearts and to give us power to say no over the flesh. Now, there are going to be many times that you won't have your Bible handy. Like driving. Plenty of people get aggravated during driving. You may not have your Bible handy when you're talking to your spouse and they're being stupid. Or kids. Or boss. But you can have scripture memorized and hidden in your heart. So that way it could be pulled up so you don't sin against God. To be able to quote the scripture to calm you down. To give you power over the flesh. to Over your own spirit. Over your own city. Memorizing and meditating on scripture aids in bedding God's truth within our heart. This internalization gives us a, fo- a solid foundation which we can make decisions which we could resist temptation and being able to find peace. But you have to be able to read scripture, but beyond that, memorize it and to meditate, to think upon it. So that way it's a resource for when you need it. You have to put in the work. Nobody has enough scripture by accident. You have to put it in there and you have to work on the memorization And you will find that as you memorize scripture, that God will naturally pull it back up in your minds when you don't do it yourself. And it gives us a calming foundation. It helps us. These are some of the things we can do in our life practically to help us to have control and rule of our spirit, to work on Bible memorization. I'm so encouraged by my wife, but every time I see that we're driving in a vehicle, she has a card out where she's memorizing scripture. 
I was asking the other day how many verses she had memorized. And she says she's pretty sure she has hundreds, not the same book, but hundreds throughout the Bible that she just has. And she's working on all the time. And it's an encouragement. Why? She has to keep rule over her spirit. She has to do something to keep because she's got to put up with me. You don't have to laugh so hard. But to be able to have that scripture memorized and work at it. This is why in discipleship, we start memorizing scripture immediately. We're trying to put tools in that person to be successful, to have rule over their own spirit. Do you know that kids before they could read can already memorize scripture? This is something you could get in their hearts right away to start learning and having it settled. This is something adults can do. Now, I understand that many adults go with the excuse of, well, I just can't memorize things anymore. You can if you want to. You can memorize sports scores. You can remember lines from TV shows that you saw. You could do it. You put enough enough work into it, you'll find that it becomes easier. You just have to start working at it. Don't let it be an excuse, but work at it. And it will be amazed at what God can do for you. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against him, against thee. That's what we want. If you don't mind, one more thing. What's one more thing that we could have in our life that could help protect us and help us to have rule over our spirit so when the enemies come, we could still have victory and not have chaos and have our whole city burning down? One last thing, prepare your heart to sing. Prepare your heart to sing. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Prepare your heart to sing. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Ephesians chapter 5. And let's get the context of it just to show that biblical music does help. Notice, if you don't mind, Ephesians chapter 5. Notice with me in verse 16. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Without a doubt, the days are evil. Verse number 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So the days are evil. We need to redeem the time. We need to understand God's will and be able to carry it out. Verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now remember, to be filled with the Spirit, you have to be dead to self. May we say it this way? You have to be in control of your spirit to have rule over your spirit. So that way God can have rule over you. You need to have things disciplined and set in order. Verse number 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Biblical music helps keeps our mind on the Lord or get our mind on the Lord. Music can give us peace in our hearts and clarity for decisions that need to be made. Again, we do a lot of hymn histories in this church and I'm not going to do any now, but isn't it amazing how many hymn histories come out of tragedy and pain and yet in the middle of it, God gives them a song to sing in the midst of it. This is what biblical music can do is that if you can imagine we've done hymn histories where people have lost their kids 
And they come up with songs, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, or it is well with my soul. Those were both songs written because their kids were perished and God gave them a peace. Could we say that those authors at that time had rule over their spirit and they didn't allow grief and depression and resentment to overrule them at that time? Biblical music could help us to keep our mind, to be able to focus on God, to have a clarity so we could have a proper decision. Many of you have come up to me saying you're having a hard time with stuff, have heard me say, can you sing? Can you sing? Now again, it's not, can you sing any song? And can you sing any song without, with your mind just somewhere else? Can you sing the song and mean the words? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. You know, thinking about those words, that's a big deal. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. To be able to see those words, it's very hard to say how great I am when I'm singing that song. Those songs help to put things in control, in perspective, so we can have rule over our spirit. Having these songs ready to go are a big deal too, to have them hidden in our heart. So as we overview this, it is the responsibility of each and every one of us to maintain rule over our own spirits. It is not your spouse's job to keep rule over your spirit. It's not the parent's job to rule over the kid's spirit. That's your job. It's your city. You have to maintain it. You can protect it by building walls of self-discipline, daily disciplines, prayer, scripture, maintaining a joyful heart, working on checks that show you when you're starting to get out of control so you could put them in control. And when you see those, what do you do? Whether it's prayer, whether it's memorization, whether it's singing a song, you put those things in place. So even in the hardest times, you can still be in control of your own spirit. Now, this is just practice because in America, we have plenty of freedom. But if persecution does come, or when we say when it comes... Will you be able to maintain your own spirit when persecution comes to have rule over it? If you won't be able to set up the disciplines now, how in the world can you set up those disciplines when there's even more chaos around you? Let's just say that tragedy hits your home and it is very tragic. Are you going to lose your stuff? Or can you maintain control over your own spirit even in tragedies? All of this Now when we have the freedom is the time to set these up, to put these here. Because when those tragedies happen, by the way, is when we're going to be able to have the biggest impact on the community around us. Having this peace that passeth all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense. Why in the world aren't you losing your mind? That's I'd be losing my mind if all this stuff was happening to me. I don't have to because I have a God who's in control and I can trust him. And we're able to witness to people and we're able to show them what a great God that we have. And this makes a difference. But for us, we need to learn to have rule over our own spirit. And this is a practical and an achievable thing. We don't have to allow our 
our own laws or our own cities to be in chaos and riotous contention. They could be under rule and under discipline and under control, even in the toughest days. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.